Good morning. My name is Nancy Burton, and today's reading is from John 10, verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and live it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Thank you very much, Nancy, for that wonderful reading. And thank you, Sarah, for doing the announcements also. My name is Pastor Tom. I'm the assistant pastor. And today I have the honor of delivering the sermon to you. And again, our text is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And as I was listening to Nancy read our text for the day, I'm trying to imagine in my mind shepherds and sheepfolds as it was in the days of Jesus. You know, I'd love to be able to see with my own eyes what it looks like for a shepherd to just simply call out to his sheep and have them all follow him out into pasture. But metaphors get dated. You know, shepherding as we know it today, it doesn't look like it did back in the days of Jesus. And if we don't know what a shepherd actually did, what that looked like, then we can't get the full appreciation for what Jesus is actually saying. And I know I'm not alone in that desire for visual cultural context, because today there are all kinds of tours that you can take of Israel, of the Holy Land, to glean bits of 
contexts that really make the words of Jesus come alive. And as I was doing my sermon prep this week, I came across a story of one of these tour guides out in Israel, and he had a bus full of, of people, and they were driving along in the countryside, and they came upon a flock of sheep. And the tour guide decided to share John 10, our text, with his group. And as he was talking about how Jesus is the good shepherd, they're looking out over this flock. The guide is telling them how the shepherd builds a relationship with his sheep, how he feeds them, how he gently cares for them. And because of that care, he doesn't have to drive them. He just simply calls out to his sheep and they follow him. He's painting this absolutely heartwarming picture. And as they look out over this picturesque countryside, they see this one lone man and he's out there with the sheep but he's chasing them around. He's throwing sticks at them. He's driving them with his sheepdog. They're all stressed out like crazy. And this is a total scene of just absolute chaos. And he's completely ruining the illustration of the tour guide. So he gets pulled, he gets frustrated. He pulls over and he calls out to the man. He says, what on earth are you doing? Why would you treat the sheep this way? You know, I'm trying to talk about the good shepherd and you are ruining my story here, man. What's the deal? And the guy looks at him. He says, Listen, mister, you've got it all wrong. I'm not the shepherd. I'm the butcher. So, I mean, this guy, he gives a perfect illustration of what a shepherd is not. The butcher is actually a good illustration of the false shepherds, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that have been abusing the flock. But in our text today, we see God in his perfect timing and love has now sent a good shepherd to begin calling for and caring for this mistreated flock of Israel. And the call of the good shepherd, it goes out beyond the flock of Israel. It meets us here today. So now before we get to the text, let's take some time to pray over our, over our time this morning. And let's ask God's blessing on his time in the word. Let's ask that God would open our ears and open our hearts to the call of the good shepherd. So won't you pray with me? Dear heavenly father, God, I I ask that we may see you a bit clearer as we behold you, our good shepherd, in the text today. God, I ask that you would call us to be a people that doesn't stubbornly resist your call, but that we, like humble sheep answering your call, I ask that you would help us to depend on your good care for us and cause us to be content into the pasture that you have led us in. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, thank you for gathering us here together in worship. And thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, God, the son, laying down his life. Not only that, but for taking it up again so that we wouldn't have to be like a flock without a shepherd. God, thank you, Lord. God, we we trust in your care for us and help us to trust you even deeper. Amen. So now, if you've heard Pastor Brent's sermons over the past few weeks, so remember the conflict that is escalating between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's becoming a persistent theme in our text here. And Jesus has been using the phrase, I am, to describe himself. Now, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And hearing this phrase, this expression from Jesus, is becoming like nails on a chalkboard for the Pharisees. And the reason for their building rage is because in the Old Testament, as Pastor Brennan said before, God revealed himself to Moses. God chose to identify himself as I am. And in a nutshell, the name I am, it points to God being self-existent. It points to his eternal nature. It means that God's existence is not contingent 
upon anything else. His plans are fully fulfilled by his own power, and he will accomplish what he wills to accomplish. And in Judaism, I am is unquestionably understood as a name for God. So whenever Jesus makes this I am statement, in which he claimed some kind of divine attribute, he is claiming himself as God. Blasphemy in the eyes of the Jewish leaders. Now he's continuing to use these claims of divinity to contrast himself with these poor shepherds that the Jewish leaders are. And in the previous exchanges, Jesus tells them, I am the light of the world. And he says that they, in contrast, are in darkness. Jesus says that he is from above and they are from below. He says that the Pharisees are slaves to sin, but that Jesus has the power to set free. And in our text today, we have two more I am statements. Jesus says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Now, the image of God as a shepherd and his people as sheep, it wasn't a new, a new idea. It wasn't a new image to the people of Israel. All throughout scripture, from the beginning to the end, there is a theme of God as a shepherd and, and his, his people as sheep. And in our text today, Jesus is drawing on all that imagery and really driving it home with the statement, I am the good shepherd. Now, God has used other shepherds to guide and deliver Israel throughout its long history. Abraham was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. I mean, Moses, he literally shepherded his father-in-law's flock for 40 years. And then Moses became a metaphorical shepherd of sorts. He was shepherding Israel through their wanderings 40 years in the desert. And these religious leaders that were in conflict with Jesus, they had claimed to be disciples of Moses last week in chapter 9. In a, in a sense, they, carry, they claimed to be carrying on the work of Moses, which is the spiritual shepherding of the house of Israel. But remember, these religious leaders, these are the ones who had been scattering the flock. They had just chased away the blind man that had been healed by Jesus. Last week it said in John 9.22 that the Jews had agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They were chasing away the flock. So the Pharisees, they actually have more in common with the bad shepherds that the prophet Jeremiah denounces way back in Jeremiah 23, where he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Continuing in verse 2, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. So the Pharisees, they were the ones chasing away the flock that they should have been shepherding until the chief shepherd appeared. But now the good shepherd was here and they were trying to prevent the sheep of Israel from going to him. Now back to Jeremiah, he switches from a rebuke of the shepherds to an encouragement to the flock. Speaking for God, he prophesies in verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now, wasn't that a picture of comfort, a picture of hope 
someone to care for the flock. No more fear, no more dismay, no more loss. It's comforting to have a shepherding shepherd like that. But on the other hand, it really isn't a compliment to be called a sheep. Now, it's humbling to be called a sheep because sheep are not exactly known for their ability to take care of themselves. Sheep cannot survive without the care of a shepherd. And even with a shepherd, they just barely squeak by. I mean, sheep have been known to stick their heads under a log just to get a little morsel of food. And even though the sheep isn't stuck, it doesn't occur to it to just pull its head out and back up and turn around. It keeps trying to push forward through the log. And without a shepherd to grab it, pull it out and set it right, it's just going to keep pushing forward until it dies. Um, sheep, when they lay down, if they turn too far on their side, it's all over. Their center of gravity shifts, their legs stick straight up in the air like a table flipped over. They can't get their feet under them. They'll lay there on their back. It's called a sheep being cast. It'll just lay there until it dies. Um, sheep will struggle through a fence and it, it, it'll have this perfectly lush and green pasture, safe, has everything it needs, and it'll struggle through the fence just to get to the other side. And once it gets there, it becomes, you know, disoriented in its new surroundings. And the, the flight instinct takes in, kicks in, and it'll, it'll take off even further from safety. Without a shepherd to go out and grab it, it's gonna die. So, I mean, the comparison to sheep, it's not one that Israel should exactly be flattered with. And, however, it's true. You know, it's true for Israel, and also it is true for us today. We're not that different from sheep. And it says in Isaiah 53 that we, like sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, we've got a shepherd that offers us abundant life. But the problem is, in our desire to find what we think we need for abundant life, we have turned to our own way to find what we're looking for. We really aren't that different from the sheep who goes looking for food under that log. We aren't that different from the sheep who leaves the safety of pasture. We look for satisfaction. We look for fulfillment. We look for abundance in the forbidden places. We look for our abundant life outside of the provision of the good shepherd. That's what sin is. And the Pharisees, they believed that the way to abundant life was legalistic obedience, not only to God's law, but also to all kinds of man-made rules. And they were calling the sheep of Israel to follow them into that kind of oppression. Now, depending on your church background, you may not have false shepherds like the Pharisees breathing, breathing down your neck. Um, but in our context, it's really the natural condition of humanity to look for abundant life by filling that God-shaped hole in our hearts that we all have with all kinds of things other than the provision of God. And the false shepherds, you know, even the false shepherds of our own hearts, of our own making, are all too happy to call to us and entice us away. You know, maybe we think we'll find abundance and success. So we have invested an unhealthy amount of ourselves in our careers. Maybe we think we'll find fulfillment in our family. And therefore, we've put an unhealthy amount of pressure on others. Maybe it's our siblings or our parents or our children or our grandchildren to be our fulfillment. Maybe we think we're finding the, we're going to find the abundant life we're missing in a relationship. And rather than wait and trust in God's plan for us, we seek out something that we know to be outside of his will. 
or maybe we've just given up and we're trying to dull the fact that we don't have abundant life with drugs or alcohol or distraction or whatever whatever the case may be, no matter what our personal hang-up is, we, like sheep, go looking for provision in all the wrong places. And rather than back up and change course or repent, we just push on in the wrong direction. Eventually, we end up despondent, depressed, weighed down, and on our back like a sheep that can't get its foot up. So we need a shepherd to pick us up and to set us right. And thankfully, we've got a shepherd who knows us. He knows what has enticed us away. He knows what has weighed us down. He knows what has set us on our back, and he calls us back to himself. So let's talk about how he does that. Now, our text today in John 10, it focuses on imagery of sheep, sheepfold, shepherds. And again, ancient shepherding looks much different to our modern understanding of what a shepherd does. So a comprehension of the symbols that Jesus uses here will give us insight into who he is, who we are as his sheep, and how he cares for us. So let's talk about some of those symbols that Jesus uses. We'll start with the sheepfold that Jesus mentions. Now, the sheepfold in Israel, it was this large permanent enclosure. Sometimes it was built into a cave that housed a ton of sheep. These sheepfolds, some of them had mixed flocks from various families. They all banded together and they boarded their flocks together at night in one of these sheepfolds. And these families would hire a gatekeeper, not necessarily a shepherd, a gatekeeper to spend the night and watch over all the sheep to protect them from thieves and predators. And in the morning, each family's shepherd would come. Now, if the gatekeeper recognized this man as the authorized shepherd, the gatekeeper would grant him access. And the shepherd would call out to the sheep that belonged to him. He had a special, a distinct call, and a sheep knew it. And if even if the sheep belonging to different families were all mixed together, the, the shepherd, you could separate the flocks just by calling to them. That's what's happening in verses 2 and 3. It says, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So the gatekeeper, he opens the gate to the shepherd of the sheep. Now, this is to indicate that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the authorized one. He is the one who has fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He is the one who is the rightful shepherd. He is the one who clears the bar, so to speak. So the gatekeeper, he opens the gate and the sheep respond to his call. Out of that oppressiveness of Judaism, out of that oppressiveness of the false shepherds of idolatry that we have set before us, whatever it is, when we hear his voice as the sheep of his hand, we take notice and we follow after him. But there are other other people in the, the, the sheepfold, sheepfold who should not be there. They try to sneak in and act like shepherds. It says in John 10, verse 1, that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, these strangers, they couldn't get past the gatekeeper who was watching carefully over the sheepfold because they were not known to the gatekeeper. So what they had to do is they had to find another way in. They weren't there to do any shepherding. They were there to butcher and exploit the sheep, just like the Pharisees had done. But in contrast to that, we have Jesus. We have the good shepherd who calls us out 
not to exploit us, not to steal and to kill and to rob, but to lead us into abundant pastures. And when the sheep are called out, it would be this amazing thing to see. All the sheep, they'd be mixed together. Who knows which ones belong to who? And the shepherd would just call. And all the sheep that didn't belong to the shepherd, they'd just ignore it. They'd just stand there. But the sheep that knew the shepherd would come out from the flock. The sheep knew their shepherd's voice. But the relationship, it goes both ways here. The shepherd, I'm sorry, the sheep knew the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep as well. It says he calls them by name. So these false shepherds that we've talked about, they call us too, but they call us by our sin. Their call entices us away from safety and they steal and they kill and they rob. But God, he calls us not by our sin, but he calls us by our name, as it says in our text today. And isn't that what we so desperately need? We need a personal shepherd God that cares for us, that knows us by name. Now, sometimes shepherds would name his sheep according to how he or she behaves. Maybe the sheep was timid, so the shepherd would call her jumpy, or maybe the sheep was overbold and the shepherd would name him hotshot or whatever. Uh, The point is that even beyond knowing our names, Jesus, our good shepherd, he knows us according to the way we behave, and he cares for us according to our unique needs and our unique temperaments. I mean, just look at the disciples, those guys. They were all over the map with their personalities, with their quirks, with their strengths, with their weaknesses. And yet Jesus approaches each one differently. He cared for each of them in their own special and personalized way. And we have a shepherd who knows us intimately and cares for us accordingly. And that, I think, is the most precious part of the Christian faith that sets it apart from other world religions. It's that God knows us by name. We know God, he knows us. And what an amazing comfort that is. And Jesus, God the Son, he's not like those other religious leaders that use their position to lord it over their flock. No, we have a shepherd that is concerned with our personal welfare. Now, you've probably heard it said before that a good shepherd smells like sheep. He smells like sheep because he spends time with his sheep. Well, Jesus, he's a shepherd that smells like sheep, of course. But even deeper than that, He knows us not just because he spends time with us, but because in humility, he was made like us. This shepherd, he more than just smells like sheep. Jesus became a sheep for our sake. Jesus has been made like us in every respect. He has taken all of his humanity, all of our humanity onto himself. It says in Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus, he can relate to us. He truly knows us. He knows our unique needs, struggles, and temptations because he was made like us. And because he was like us, but yet without sin, That is what enables him to shepherd us so well. God became man and lived with us. That's the love of God, the compassion of God, and the nearness of God that you will find nowhere else but in Jesus. 
our good shepherd. All right, now back to John 10. And as, as Jesus talks about calling his sheep out into the abundant pasture, he changes the metaphor a little bit in verse 7. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now here in this figure of speech, Jesus is no longer the shepherd who goes through the door and calls out the sheep. Now he is the door. Some of your Bibles may have it as the gate instead of the door. Same thing. Uh, here's what that's all about. If shepherds, if they were traveling with their flocks out in the wilderness, away from the more sophisticated sheepfold with the gates and the gatekeepers, the shepherd, he would make a makeshift pen out in the wilderness. Or maybe he lead the sheep into uh, a cave that he found, or he arranged some brambles against the wall. And after leading the sheep inside, what, is, what he would do is he would lay down across the opening that he led the sheep in for the night. Again, the flock was out in the wilderness. He didn't have a door handy. So the shepherd himself would lay down and become the door. Nothing could leave. Nothing could enter without the shepherd's knowledge. It was a picture of the security and the safety that we have if, if we enter the pen through the only authorized entrance. It says in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and he will go out and find pasture. So there's three things we can glean from this short verse. First, the only legitimate way to enter into the pen is through the door, which is Jesus. Second, the primary benefit of entering through this door is salvation. It says he or she will be saved. Third, we have a benefit that is associated with that salvation. It's the going in and going out and finding pasture resulting in what verse 10 calls abundant life. All right, so back to the first point. It, it deals with the exclusivity of how we are enter into salvation. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me. So the only way into salvation is through Jesus Christ. Uh, first, we can apply that to ourselves, really, to, to religious people, people within the church. But some of us have not truly entered in through the gates the door. Here's what I mean. Sometimes religious folks can begin to, to assume a relationship with God without ever having a conscious and deliberate entering in through the door, which is Christ alone. So if the door is Christ alone, then the door is not a lot of other things. The door is not baptism. The door is not observing communion. The door is not making a profession of faith. The door is not being accepted by the church. The door is certainly not our good deeds and our good works. Now, these are all good things, and I hope you experience them all, but they are a result of entering through the gate. These are the things we do because we have a relationship with Jesus. These things are not the gate itself. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the true entry point into the church. Jesus is the only way into salvation. Jesus is the only way to God. Now that's a bit of a controversial statement to make in our society because it's one of the default beliefs that in our culture, there are many paths to God. There are many ways to salvation. And at best, the world says, hey, Jesus is just one of those many options. But that's not at all what Jesus says. The claim of Jesus is exclusive. There's just no getting around it. Maybe John 14, 6 says it the clearest, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, many are offended by this exclusive claim of Jesus. It's hard to accept that your good deeds aren't good enough. It's hard to accept that the belief system that you've been taught or that you've pieced together yourself doesn't fit in with Jesus' statement that he is the only way to salvation. It's very easy to be offended by Jesus saying no to your way. But this abundant life, this salvation, this green pasture, it is an exclusive place. There's only one way in. But before you get offended by that, Consider that the thing that is exclusive is not the invitation. The invitation goes out far and wide for anyone who would believe they have access to the door, that exclusive entry point into salvation. Jesus extends this offer to all who would believe, and more specifically, to the sinner, to the crushed in spirit, to those who mourn. Jesus finds us at our worst, and that's when he invites us in. Now, initially, this offer, this offer of salvation, it was for the Jews. The sheepfold that we have been discussing refers to Israel, to God's chosen people. But now in verse 16, we read, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So we are not among that original sheepfold. But did you know that you and I were mentioned in the Bible? Other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in and they will listen to my voice. That's us. That's the personalized invitation to the door, the entry point of salvation. And the shepherd is calling to us. He's coming to pick us up to set us on our feet again. That shepherd's call, it goes out beyond the sheepfold of Judaism to find us 2,000 years later here in Waterville, Maine, you are invited, but you must enter by the door. And not only are you invited, but because of his great love for you and his desire to include you, the shepherd, he laid down his life to deliver this invitation to you. Respond to that invitation to the flock of God. Listen to his voice and respond in faith. All right, on to point two about verse nine. It says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. So the benefit of passing through this door is to be saved. Now, we use the word saved a lot in church, of course, and it's important to realize what we are saying. You know, what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from the judgment of God on our sins. We're saved from everlasting hell. That's what we're saved from. We're saved from the condemnation of God. We are justified before God the Father, which means we are made right because he stood in our place because we are the sinners, not him. We are the ones with all these crimes and all these sins to our credit. We are the ones deserving that condemnation. And yet he stood in our place. And as Jesus hung on that cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived our life with all of that sin so that he could treat us as if we lived Jesus' life with all its obedience, with all its righteousness. And in doing so, he secured our pardon. He secured our justification. He ransomed us from that cage of sin, and he took the punishment we deserved, and it killed him. He died in our place. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
That is the ultimate sacrifice. That is the ultimate picture of love and care. But even that was not enough for our good shepherd. Jesus goes beyond that because we still need his care beyond his sacrifice. Now, his death, it serves the infinitely important purpose of atoning for our sins. But the work of the shepherd was not done at the laying down of his life. He is not through calling more sheep into his flock. He is not through caring for us. The work of the shepherd extends beyond his death, and he rose from the grave to continue caring for us. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. A dead man can't shepherd, so he takes up his life to call others, and he takes up his life to continue in this caring for his flock. And that brings us to the third point in verse 9. It talks about going in and out and finding pasture. So our interaction with the shepherd, it's not just this one-time deal. We don't just receive salvation at the door, and then that's the last we ever see of the shepherd. No, he leads us into the pasture by day, and he calls us back in by night. It's this picture of this constant and abiding care. And Jesus is not just our entry point into salvation, but also into every good gift that God delivers to us. Everything God gives us, it comes through Christ. Romans 8.32 says that he who spared not only, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? All the things we need for abundant life we receive from Christ, our good shepherd. We don't just pass through the door and move away from him. We rely on him. And he continues to care for us as we go in and as we go out. So what does that look like for us in our day-to-day life? Well, when we go out to work in the morning, we are going through the strength of Christ. When you go out to face the trials of life, you are going through Christ. You're going equipped. When you go out to fight your sin, you're going through the power of the one who overcame your sin. And when you come in again, you pass under the rod of the shepherd. And as sheep would come in for the night, the shepherd, he would use his rod um, to stop the sheep as they came in single file. And as he stopped the sheep, he would take time to look over each sheep. You know, was the sheep weighed down with too much wool? Was this sheep um, breathing okay? Was its hoof damaged? Was the sheep getting enough food? Was the sheep in danger of of its wool being too heavy and it rolling over and, and um, having its legs sticking up straight in the air? Jesus gives individual care to each of his sheep, just like a shepherd watching over each sheep as they came in for the night. And as we go in and as we go out, we go out under the watchful eye of the good shepherd. And as we spend time with the shepherd, as we begin to be more and more of a, aware of his care and as we trust him more, as we pray to him, as we read his word, and as we worship him, we behold his glory. And then something incredibly miraculous begins to happen to us. Second Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, remember how the shepherd became a sheep for our sake. Well, now, miracle of miracles, 
the process, it begins to reverse a little bit. We begin to look more and more like our shepherd. Uh, yes, we're still sheep. Yes, we still need his care. But we are also being transformed into the image of our shepherd from one degree to another, bit by bit. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes it's one step forward and four steps back. Yes, we're still a mess. We're still a sh- we're still sheep. But as we go in and out under his care, the shepherd transforms us. And as we begin to look more and more like our shepherd, God even takes up his shepherd's call through you to call others. It's transformation that is occurring in your life. It's a powerful tool that God uses to call other people into his flock. And I want to ask you, if you view your life through that lens, all the struggle you experience, all the loss, all the trials we go through, as we live out our lives in this fallen world and it breaks us down, we can be encouraged because the shepherd is using our testimony, our faith in hard times as evidence to the watching, unbelieving world that he is real, that he is caring, that he loves his sheep. So don't be afraid to give credit where it's due. Don't be afraid to point others to the loving care of Jesus Christ. And as we do, that reliance on the shepherd's provision, that living out our transformation into his likeness, that is what true abundant life is. And that can be hard to accept, right? Because we have a different definition of what abundant life should look like, don't we? Now, in this metaphor of sheep care, what does abundant life look like for a sheep? Well, I think it means well-fed, contented sheep, safe from threats, cared for, looked after, trimmed, clean. And it would be easy to take that metaphor about abundant life for sheep and apply it to ourselves and begin to look to God with an attitude that he exists primarily to meet our every need and want. But if we were to define abundant life that way, we'd be disappointed pretty quickly. If we are the ones dictating to the shepherd what abundant life looks like, we'll end up with an attitude of entitlement. We'll end up ungracious and we'll end up frustrated. If I were to pitch the promise of abundant life to mean some kind of material fulfillment or even a self-fulfillment through God, I'd be promising something that won't be delivered and create all kinds of demands and unmet expectations. If we look to abundant life, as the end of our struggle, then we try to take a shortcut through the painful process that is necessary to grow us spiritually. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. But instead, the abundant life we find as we follow him comes from the nearness, the protection, the provision, the care of the shepherd as we walk down that difficult road of transformation. The shepherd's abundant life It doesn't mean the absence of struggle. It means that he is with you in the struggle and he's using it to refine you, to burn off those impurities that you have in you as you are transformed from one degree to another into his image. Now, this transformation, it's not going to be complete until we step into heaven. But until that day comes, we can be content in our sheepishness, our sheep-likeness as dependent members of his flock, enjoying his care, enjoying his provision, enjoying his tenderness and his attention. And even when things are difficult, we can know that we are the sheep of his 
pasture. And we don't need to heed the call of the false shepherd, the thief, the robber, the butcher, the one who tries to trap us under a log or call us out from the safety of the pasture. We don't have to heed the call of the one who is looking to entice us away with that false call, looking for abundance in all the wrong places. And opposed to those butchers who are calling to you relentlessly, the false shepherds enticing you, the ones who will lead you out and abandon you, we have a good shepherd. So what will you do when you hear the call of this good shepherd? Will you follow him? And if so, how? What's the first step? Well, we find an answer in Psalm 95 where it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness when your forefathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So he tells us what to do right here. The psalmist says, come and worship. So as the worship team makes their way back up front, we're going to do just that. We're going to worship. And he tells us what not to do when we hear his voice. He says, do not harden your hearts. So do you want to enter that blissful rest of being under the care of the good shepherd? Do not harden your hearts. Do not put God to the test. Do not look to the work of God, which is right in front of your eyes, like the Pharisees did, and reject his provision. Don't say, well, oh, if God only did this for me, if God only did that for me, then I would believe. No, don't stubbornly argue with God. Instead, as the sheep of his hand, let's obey that call to come and worship. And for those of us who maybe do have hard hearts, don't think that you can resist the voice of the Lord. Yes, he calls and he leads like a gentle shepherd, but if he wills for you to come, your stone heart is not a match for the voice of the Lord, the one who by the sound of his voice spoke the world into existence and could just as easily unmake it with a word. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth in flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry glory. So if God wants your heart, he will have it. The question is, how loud will he have to raise his voice? to get your attention this morning. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Instead, please stand with me and together as one flock, let's call back to our good shepherd in worship.